We turn to Luke chapter 18. We start at verse 9 and read in Jesus' name. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, these are your words that you have given to us by the inspiration of your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us into your truth. Your word is everlasting truth. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth this day, the meditations of our hearts, would be pleasing in your sight. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Leo Tolstoy, the author of War and Peace, is considered by some to be one of the greatest novelists of all time. And what I've read about him, I think he would agree with that assessment because he seemed to have a very high view of himself. Here's what he once said I read a work on the literary characterization of genius today, and this awoke in me the conviction that I am a remarkable man both as regards capacity and eagerness to work. I have not yet met a single man who was morally as good as I. I do not remember an instance in my life when I was not attracted to what is good and was not ready to sacrifice anything to it. Now, he either has a bad memory or he is a legend in his own mind, right? Most people probably wouldn't proclaim how remarkable they are, how morally superior they are to everyone else. And yet there's that seed within us because of our sinful nature that we tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And this parable that Jesus tells in our text really illustrates this truth In fact, this is why Jesus told this parable. Verse 9, he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Sounds like Leo Tolstoy, doesn't it? Never met a single man who was morally as good as he was. Uh, Here is a man who was guilty of what we would call the sin of self-righteousness, right? I'm so much more righteous. I'm so much better than, than everyone else. Three things we learn in our text about the self-righteous. 
First of all, the self-righteous look at themselves pridefully. R. Kent Hughes makes an interesting observation as he compares the parable before this one with the one we just read. He says this parable, like the preceding parable of the persistent widow, has to do with prayer. In the preceding parable, we learn that persistence in prayer shows what we think of God. That we are confident that He is gracious and caring. In this parable, he says, we learn that our prayers unwittingly reveal what we think of ourselves. So if you want to know what you think of yourself, Hughes would say, look at how you pray. What is your prayer like? What, how do you pray? Do you pray like the persistent widow who is trusting that God will provide? Or are you praying like the Pharisee? How do you pray? A proper understanding of prayer is that of humbling ourselves before God. But the Pharisee in the temple in this parable used prayer really for the opposite purpose. His desire was not to humble himself before God, but to exalt himself before men. And he used prayer to do that. It was really a perversion of the purpose of prayer. The Pharisee began his prayer in verse 11 by saying, God, I thank you. Now, when we, we stop there, we, think, we say, you know, that's a good way to begin your prayer, right? Begin it with praise. Begin it with thanks to God. God, I thank you. And if we were to put the best construction on what he goes on to say, you might conclude that he was especially thankful for what God had spared him from. <laughs> And that's a good thing, right? When you think of what God may have spared us from, that's a good thing to be thankful for. And so he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. But it really wasn't thanks to God, was it? He doesn't mention anything that God had done for him. His prayer here is all about himself. In fact, in this brief prayer, he uses the pronoun I five times. So what's his prayer about? It's about himself. And even though he begins by saying, God, I thank you, I think we'd have to say it really wasn't genuine thanks to God. It was all about him. It's no wonder Jesus says in verse 11 that the Pharisee was praying this to himself. It was all about him. His desire was to lift himself up. And he is essentially saying so that everyone in the temple could hear, if you want to see a remarkable man, if you want to see a man who is very righteous, take a look at me. Here's what I don't do. And here's what I do. Look how great I am. Now, if you watch football today, you're going to see some football players that are saying, look at me, look how great I am. When a tackle is made, you'll probably see someone running from the pile into the middle of the, the football field, beating his chest. And I would say, oh, you were the one that made the tackle. I didn't realize that. I'm glad you told me that. huh? All about me. Look what I have done. And that's the spirit of the Pharisee as he is praying in the temple. 
God, I thank you for how wonderful I am. I don't do this. And I fast and I give tithes of all I have. God, look at me. And oh, by the way, anybody else here in the temple? Yeah, I'm the one. You, you, you can look at me too. How uh, self-centered could a man be? And you compare that with the attitude of the tax collector. Instead of standing near the Holy of Holies like the Pharisee probably did, he was standing, uh, Jesus said, some distance away. And instead of boasting of all the good he had done, he boasted of nothing. He may not have known as much of the Bible as the Pharisee had known, and he may not have done as many wonderful things as the Pharisee had done, but it's obvious that God was doing something in this man's heart. Because he wasn't seeking to exalt himself. He humbled himself before God because he knew that's all that he could do. No reason to boast. Are you in the habit of boasting about yourself? Is your standing before God based on all that you have done? I mean, you ask people if they were to stand before God and God were to ask them, why should I let you into my heaven? What are the answers you get? Well, I've been a good person and I've tried to obey the golden rule and I've been a good parent and I I pay my taxes. What is what is in common with all of those answers? It's all about me, right? Look at how good I am. Look at how righteous I am. Look at all the things I have done. What does God's Word say about that? Galatians 6.14 But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.31 Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So if we're going to do any boasting, it's not about us. It's about Jesus, right? Not how good I am, but how good He is. How merciful He is. The owner of a small car began to irritate his friends by bragging about what good mileage his car got. And so they devised a plan to bring his boasting to an end. Every day, someone would secretly put in a couple of gallons of gas... In his car. (laughs) Soon he was boasting of getting as much as 90 miles to the gallon. (laughs) And he enjoyed, uh, the pranksters enjoyed watching this man's exasperation as he tried to convince the people of the truthfulness of his claims. It was even more fun to see his reaction when they stopped refilling the tank. Poor guy couldn't figure out what had, what had happened to his car. Now, it's a little irritating, I suppose, when someone boasts about things like their car or whatever. But it's alarming when someone boasts about their righteousness. It's alarming because it's a sign of a spiritual problem. It's a false claim. Because the Bible says, what about our righteousness? It is like filthy rags. The Bible says that there is no one who does what is right. No, not one. The self-righteous look at themselves pridefully. 
And following from that, then, the self-righteous look at others scornfully. They look at themselves pridefully, and then they look at others scornfully. You see, when we attempt to lift up ourselves, we invariably fall into the trap of putting others down. Those two, they just go hand in hand, right? Why do people boast about themselves? Because they want to look better than others. And so in their boasting about themselves, they're kind of looking down their nose at everyone else. And that was the case with the Pharisee. He looked down his nose at everyone else and he wasn't ashamed to admit it. God, I'm so thankful that that I'm not like other people. I'm so glad I'm not a, a swindler. I'm so glad I'm not unjust. I'm so glad I'm not an adulterer. And I'm so glad like, you see that guy over there, this tax collector? I'm so glad I'm not like him. How disgusting. And what is interesting to notice about the comparison that he makes, he doesn't compare himself with those whom he considers to be better than he is. Who does he compare himself to? He finds all these people who are, in his eyes, less than the God, and so he makes that comparison. I'm up here and everybody else is, is down here. But really, he's, he's no different than the ones that he scorns. He said, I'm glad I'm not a swindler. But was he not robbing God of the honor due to him? All this man could do was talk about himself. He said, I'm glad I'm not unjust. But was he not guilty of unjustly proclaiming his own self-righteousness? He said, I'm glad I'm not an adulterer. And yet he was guilty of, the, of adultery of the worst kind, spiritual adultery. Abandoning the true God in order to trust in his own self-righteousness. He said, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector, but he was just as much a sinner as that man who stood beside him. He was so good at pointing out the sins of others that he couldn't see his own. And that's a common thing, isn't it? It is so easy to see the sins of others, isn't it? We can point out their sins so easily. That's what pride does to us. Pride is a way of blinding our eyes to our own sin. But notice the contrast then with the tax collector. As he prays, he mentions nothing of the sins of others. He isn't trying to make himself look good by degrading others. The only thing that matters to him is his relationship to God. What others do make him no better, no worse, because salvation does not depend on how you compare to others. I read about a man who was very anxious to display his knowledge of taxidermy, mounting animals and fish and so forth. He said with pride as he looked at this owl, he said, if I couldn't stuff an owl better than that, I would quit the business. The head isn't right. The poise of the body isn't right. The feathers are not right. The feet are not placed right. But before he could finish... The owl turned his head and winked at him. (laughs) So maybe those who put others down aren't so good themselves, huh? 
So the self-righteous look at themselves pridefully. They look at others scornfully. And thirdly, the self-righteous look at salvation incorrectly. They do not understand what salvation is all about. As you examine the Pharisee's prayer, he believes that God will save those who are good. And since he thinks he is good, he is essentially pleading for justice from God. And that's why he mentions all the bad things he avoids, all the good things he has done. It's as if he's saying, Lord, look at the way that I have lived. Justice demands that, that you reward me. I have not done all of these things and all the wonderful things I've done. Lord, come on, there's, there ought to be some reward here. I'm a righteous man. But it's not just what the Pharisee says in his prayer that's important. It's just as important to notice what he leaves unsaid. Did you notice he said nothing about his sin? Not one comment is made about the things he had done wrong or the things that he should have done that he hadn't done. This man evidently thought he wasn't much of a sinner. Or at least not a bad one like everyone else. But notice the prayer of the tax collector. He didn't plead for justice with God. Because he knew that would leave him without hope. All that he could do was to plead for mercy. Verse 13, But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That's a good literal translation of that phrase, because the word the is in the text. God, be merciful to me, not a sinner, as one among many, but God, be merciful to me, the sinner. As far as he was concerned, there was no bigger sinner in the world than he was. What a contrast between that tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee was saying, there's no one more righteous than me. The tax collector was saying, there's no sinner as, as bad as me. Richard Lenski says, the main point lies in the definite article, the word the. The Pharisee thought of others as being sinners. The tax collector thinks of himself alone as being the sinner and not of others. This is the mark of true contrition. It finds no comfort at all in the fact that there are many other sinners. It sees only itself before God. Only itself as the sinner who is unable to answer to God for his sins. Is that how you view yourself before God? Are you like the tax collector who knows he, he needs to, to, to cry out to God for mercy? Or are you still comparing yourselves with others when it comes to your relationship with God? You know, I'm not as good as so-and-so, but I'm certainly not as bad as, as, bad as him. If that's how we view salvation, then we need to be broken before God. The law needs to do its work to show us that we don't really understand what salvation is all about. 
It's only when we see our need for mercy that we will ever come to the point where we cry out to God for mercy. Chapter 5 of Luke. Jesus invited a tax collector by the name of Levi or Matthew to follow him. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Remember what Jesus said to them? He said, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The problem with so many people is they don't think they are sick, right? Don't think they are sinners. But when the law of God reveals to us what we really are, the only thing we can say is, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now, if you were to read this parable to those who don't know the Lord, And then you ask them, which of these two men would God justify? And which of these two men would God judge? What do you think would be the answer? I think most people would probably say that God would justify the Pharisee. I mean, he hadn't done all these awful things and he had done all these wonderful things. And after all, the tax collector, he admitted he was a sinner. But if you look at the end of the parable, you find this statement of Jesus that would have been shocking to those who were listening. He said, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the Pharisee was judged. Judged by God because of his self-righteous pride. He refused to humble himself. He refused to admit his sin. And when he went home, he was under the judgment of God. But the tax collector was justified by God because his heart was humble. He knew he had sinned. He knew he needed a Savior. And he wasn't ashamed to admit it. He cried out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Pastor Henry Ironside says that while they shared the gospel on the streets of California, people often told him, he said, you know, there's there's hundreds of religions in the world and everybody thinks their religion is right. So which one am I going to believe? And he said that he would answer by saying, that's a strange thing. I've only heard that there are two, two. Yes, two. He said, the one covers all who expect to be saved by doing, the other by what Christ has done. So the question is very simple. Can you save yourself or must you be saved by another? If you can be your own savior, you don't need my message. But if you cannot, you may well listen to it. So I would ask you those same questions today. Can you save yourself? Or must you be saved by another? If you think you can save yourself, then you'll pray like the Pharisee. 
Your focus will be on all the bad things you've avoided and all the good things you've done. But if you know that you must be saved by another, then the only thing you can cry out today is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So the lesson of this parable is is unmistakably clear. You can't save yourself. You must be saved by another. And Jesus is the only one who can save you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the Savior of the world. You took our sin to the cross. You died in our place. And our only hope, Lord Jesus, today is in you. It is not in our own works, our self-righteousness, the things we have done, the things we've avoided in life. It's only by your mercy and your grace. And so, Lord, thank you for what you did to take our sin upon yourself that we might be forgiven and cleansed and have a right relationship with the Father. Lord, teach us, we pray, apply this word to our lives today and help us to rest in you, Lord Jesus. That your mercy and grace is what saves us and gives us the hope of everlasting life. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen.